0: And uh, Last week, Derek preached through uh, chapter 21 of the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts uh, for a little over a year, and well, almost a year and a half, and uh, just really taking some time to look through it and see what God would teach us uh, from his word in the book of Acts. Uh, we are a church plant. Uh, we started uh, 10 years ago. Uh, we'll have our 10-year anniversary on October 1st, and uh, we want to be a church planting church. Uh, and so uh, this is a lot of good stuff. In the book of Acts to see. Uh, today, though, we're going to talk in uh, chapter 22, and we're going to see that Paul shares his testimony here. Uh, now, it's important to know the context of what's happening and, and kind of uh, where we're going to go with that. But first of all, let me ask you this question Do you, do you remember, or do you think, can you think of some of the really incredible, unforgettable moments in your life? I mean, as you, as you hear that, those words and they, the memories start coming back to you, you know, all of us have a few of those times. You know, some of them we share uh, because they're historical moments, but some are very specific to us. Uh, You know, we all remember 9-11 and where we were probably at 9-11. We remember some things because they were really great, and we remember some things because they were really bad. Uh, I remember my wedding day. That was one of the good things. Uh, I remember the day my daughter was born. I remember the day that the doctor called and told me that Julie had cancer. I remember the day that Fellowship of Grace had their very first service. I remember our first baptism. You probably are thinking of some of the big events in your life and some of those big days that, that are really incredible, that really stand out. You now, I think one of the reasons that we remember days like this is because uh, uh, they don't just sear in our memories, but they really have changed us somehow. I mean, when you remember the day a child was born, that changes your life uh, really for the rest of your life. You know, tomorrow we're going to remember our country's independence day, and, and we're thankful for that. We, we, I hope that you love this country. Uh, I love the privilege of, of uh, living in this country and the way that God has blessed us tremendously. I appreciate those who have gone before us and paid the price to buy our freedom. But I think as I prayed a few moments ago, I think our spiritual independence is more important. I think the day that we gave our lives to Christ is a much bigger and more memorable day than even uh, the day that our country won its independence. The reality is our country may in some way in some, at some time in the future uh, lose, lose many freedoms or even possibly lose our independence if you look through history at countries that have come and gone. But one thing we will never lose is our spiritual independence, our spiritual inheritance when we gave our lives to Christ. We're going to pick up from where Pastor Derek preached last week in Acts 21, and we saw that Paul had finished his three missionary journeys, and he was now returning to Jerusalem and had got back to Jerusalem. He was preaching in the temple, and the Pharisees had become so irritated with his message about Jesus that they almost stirred up a riot to where the Roman civil authorities now had to intervene to basically keep the peace and keep Paul from being torn limb from limb, And so I want to look and see what happens to Paul uh, through this process because I think it's really important. I think there's some great lessons for us to learn as we see how Paul reacted to this situation. And the first thing we see uh, kind of in the last chapter or last few verses of chapter 21, first couple of verses of chapter 22, is that Paul gains a hearing. And we'll talk about what this means here in just a moment, but I want us to look at the passage in Acts chapter 21. We're going to start with verse 34. And read through Acts chapter 22, verse 2. Here's what it says. So some of the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And as he could not learn, and he being the commander of the uh, uh, guards here, he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him, Paul, to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, "'For the mob of the people followed, crying out, "'Away with him!' "'As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, "'he said to the tribune, "'May I say something to you?' "'And he said, "'Do you know Greek? "'Are you not the Egyptian then "'who recently stirred up a a revolt "'and led the 4,000 men of the assassins "'out into the wilderness?' "'Paul replied, "'I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, "'a citizen of no obscure city. "'I beg you, "'permit me to speak to the people.' And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So how does Paul gain a hearing here? Well, let's talk about what's happening here. First of all, uh, this tribune, as the passage shows, uh, uses the word tribune. He is the commander of the guards, and Paul is taken into custody by them. As they're bringing him to the prisoners' barracks, uh, they have to basically uh, uh, mosh pit Paul uh, to get him uh, through the crowd. They have to basically carry him up on their hands and kind of pass him down to get him through the crowd, or they're going to, like I said before, tear him limb from limb. You know, the commander really doesn't even know what the issue is yet, because you saw in the passage uh, one was saying this thing and one was saying that thing, and, and really it was almost a riot breaking out here, and so there was no clarity on what was happening. But he knows that Paul is somehow the match to this powder keg. If he can if he can pull Paul out of the situation, he might be able to stop this would-be riot. The commander assumes that Paul is an Egyptian, we see in the passage. Uh, We don't know the entire story, but but there was some kind of situation where some Egyptian had recently led an insurrection and helped 4,000 murderers escape the city. And he thought Paul was probably that guy because of the uproar that was taking place. But then when Paul spoke Greek to the guard, he realized that Paul was not who he thought he was. The commander allowed Paul to speak to the crowd uh, as he requested. So they put Paul down and he motioned for the people to quiet down. And then he spoke to the mostly Jewish crowd in Hebrew. You know, it's interesting. Paul always seemed to find a way to relate to practically everybody in order to gain an opportunity to share the gospel with them. I think there's a lesson for us there. Folks, we need to speak the language of the people that we are trying to reach, figuratively. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not asking you to go home and learn seven foreign languages, but what I am saying is we need to know the culture of the people that we are trying to reach with the gospel and speak their language. Why does Fellowship of Grace have this upward sports sports ministry? First of all, it's not a sports ministry. It's an evangelism strategy. If you haven't heard me say that, you'll hear me say it about 20 more times before the season's over. It's an evangelism strategy. Why do we do that? Well, look at, look at the kids in our culture All of them are wearing royal shirts or cardinal shirts or or whatever. They're they're into sports. Our culture is into sports. Our people talk about sports. People argue about sports. Sports is a big part of our culture. So what would be a great way to learn how to speak to people in our culture? Teach their kids sports. Now, i got to be honest with you. And by the way, if your kids are in upward sports, please don't hate me for this. But I could really care less if your kid learns to dribble a ball better. That doesn't... Do anything for me. But if your child hears the gospel 10 or 12 times over the season and gives their life to Christ, now that interests me a great deal. That interests me a great deal. And so our church is involved in this ministry because we want to speak the language of our culture. If you have a neighbor who has a garden, perhaps you need to learn to talk about gardening. Maybe you don't have any particular interest in gardening, but if you can talk to him about something he's interested in, Uh, perhaps you could get uh, a chance to share the gospel with them. Paul was really good about this. Paul was really, really, really good about connecting with people where they were and finding some way to to just speak to them. This guard, you know, he doesn't even know what's going on. And as soon as Paul begins to speak Greek to him, this guy listens up. He's got this guard's ear. He's got the commander's ear. And Paul even asked him a question. Hey, do you mind, before you take me into the prison here, Do you mind if I just have a few words with the crowd? And the guy's so impressed with him, he says, sure, go right ahead. And then Paul sees the crowd that are mostly Jews, and he begins to speak to them in Hebrew. And they go, ooh, he's one of us. We should listen to this guy. You see, he always had this way of connecting with people in in a way that would cause them to want to listen to him. Folks, we need to be wise about how we interact with people, especially those who are far from God, so that we can connect with them on a level that we can win a hearing for them. Why do we have this sports ministry? Again, not to teach kids how to play basketball, although we will do that. It's not to help little girls become better cheerleaders, although we will do that. We do it so that at every single practice, these kids hear the gospel. So that every single week when there's a game, the gospel is presented at halftime, not only to the kids, but to their parents. The whole purpose of this is is to connect with the community who are far from God so that we can get the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And folks, we need to live our individual lives like that. And Paul did a really great job of doing this. He gained this hearing. Now he's got their attention. Now he's got them focused on him. Now he's speaking their language. What does he start? What does he say? What does he start with? Well, he shares his testimony publicly. And he shares, he starts about his life before he came to know Christ. Look in Acts chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. We see here that when Paul finally gets an opportunity to talk to this massive crowd, he finally gets them quieted down and and gets them focused on him, and he begins to speak He doesn't have a great theological debate with them. He doesn't express to them the the great five points of Calvinism. He doesn't debate predestination with them. He doesn't talk about any of those things. What does he do? He says, let me tell you a story about a guy. His name's Paul. He begins to share with them one message, his personal testimony. And he starts with his resume, kind kind of his pedigree not because he wants to impress them, because he wants to say to them, look, I was one of you. I was you. I was just like you. In fact, I was better than you. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the best teachers of this time. I was was into what you're into. I was thinking like you're thinking. I was just like you before I knew Christ. He related to them, and he wanted them to know that he related to them. And he wanted them to know that there was some common ground between them. I think it's another good lesson for us. We need to find common ground with those who are far from God. We need to find some way uh, to help them understand there was a time when we were like where you're at. Now listen, I, I came to know Christ when I was 12. And so I, I don't have a really strong memory of, uh, that was like 106 years ago, I don't have a really strong memory of what it was like back before I knew Christ. But I look at my life now and I think, what would my life be like today without Christ? Wow, it would be a mess. I mean, it's chaotic now. It would be even more chaotic without Christ in it. I mean, there's just there's struggles in my life. I have a life like yours. It's not totally and completely in order. There are things I still struggle with, but I can't even imagine how much it would be different if I didn't know Christ. You know, I grew up in a home where... My parents professed to know Christ. They told me the story about how as children, they both made a decision to follow Jesus. But you would never know that to live in our home. If you came and spent a week with us, uh, you would never probably suppose that we were Christians uh, unless you came Christmas or Easter. We'd go to church a few times a year, We'd put on our nice clothes and we'd go to church and sit together and be the model family and do that kind of thing. But at home, we never talked about God. We, we never talked about Jesus. We never prayed. We didn't even pray before meals. I mean, we didn't really do any of those things until I became uh, a t- uh, an older teenager and, and began to influence my family in that direction. But we didn't really have any of that kind of stuff. You would have never known. Look, Paul's just trying to help people understand here, look guys, I don't want you to think I'm better than you, I'm not not saying that there's anything better about me, or anything. I've been where you are, I was just like you at one time. And then what does he talk about? He talks about his conversion. In verses 6 through 11 he says this to the people, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Paul shares with this crowd exactly how he came to know Jesus. Now, why was he sharing this particular thing? Because, folks, this was that memorable moment for him. This was that, that moment in time that changed his life forever. Now, I know that... Uh, uh, historically our church uh, uh, thinks in terms and the foundation of our church, we think in terms of this moment where you give your life to Christ. And many of us did that. Uh, For some of us, uh, you might have thought that took place over some process of time, but there's still a moment in time where you pass from death to life. And Paul is sharing that moment. He wants them to understand that there was a big thing that happened to him. Bigger than 9-11, bigger than getting married, bigger than having a child, There was the day that the Savior of the world revealed himself to me, he said. And he'd remember it for the rest of his life. It changed him. It changed everything about his life. It changed his direction. It changed everything. And by the way, true conversion always changes a person drastically. Hear that. True conversion always changes a person drastically it changes the way we think it changes the way we talk it changes the way we behave it changes our relationships and our friends it changes our outlook on life it changes our priorities it changes our love for others true biblical salvation always changes us drastically and i want to tell you something if your conversion, if the moment that you point to and say, this is when I gave my life to Christ, if that didn't change anything for you, you might reconsider. You might reconsider if you really know Christ. I don't see anybody in the New Testament, and I've looked for them, I don't see anybody in the New Testament who says these people or this person gave their life to Christ and and, and committed to him and decided to follow him the rest of their lives Then they went back to doing everything they used to do. Nothing changed. Folks, you don't see those people because it just doesn't happen. You don't come to the place where you understand that you're a sinner and separated from God. You understand that there's nothing you can do about your sinfulness. You understand that there's no way to bridge a gap between you and God except God's love for us by giving his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Unless you understand that and commit your life to that, put all your eggs in that one basket that I believe Jesus saved me, folks, there's gonna be no change. There's not gonna be any change. Now listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you know, if your life's not perfect because listen, none of us is perfect. All of us continue to struggle at some level. But folks, there should be a drastic difference the day after we receive Christ as our Savior than the day before. And I always want to challenge you, if you're here today and you'd say, well, I made that decision as a child, I made that decision as a teenager, I made a decision last week, it doesn't matter when, but nothing's changed. I, want to really, I just want to really encourage you to do some soul searching. And I don't, I don't say that very often because I'm, I'm, I'm not some pastor that wants to be up here causing you to doubt your salvation every other week. That's not what we want to do here. But, folks, if I could come to your home and spend a week there and not realize you're Christians, there's a problem. There's a disconnect there that you need to really think through. If you came to our home and spent a a few days, you would know that we are Christians. We're not perfect, but, but you would see signs of our Christianity in our lives, things we pray about, the fact that we read the Bible, we pray. I mean, I'm just... We talk about God and Christ and when we're faced with challenges in life, we talk about that, how God's going to help. I mean, it's just the first thing we talk about. That should be a difference in our lives, folks. Paul was telling these people, look, I was just like you, but something happened. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus and everything changed. Everything changed. Then what did he talk about? He talked about his calling and his ministry. Look in verses 12 through 21. He says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? When I had returned to Jerusalem, was was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now there's two very specific parts of Paul's calling in this passage. Uh, One one is that he's saying you're going to witness to others what you have seen and heard. He's going to say, hey, Paul, here's my calling for you. I want you to go and tell other people that you saw me and that you heard me. I want them to know that. And then Jesus came back to say, and secondly, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you far away to the, the Gentiles. Now, we see that and we think, wow, that's just so cool. I mean, look what he did with Paul and this guy. You know, he was so much against him, and now look what he's going to do for God. That's just really cool. And we seem to think that there's some great calling on Paul's life. Even mean, there he is. He's an apostle and, and he goes to the Gentiles and all that. It's very impressive. But we also have this tendency to think, but you know, God hasn't really called me to do anything. I mean, He's called me to be His follower, He's called me to be a Christian, but He hasn't really called me to like, do anything, like be a pastor or a missionary or anything like that. Listen, I, I think there are those kind of special callings, but I think we make way too big a deal about those who are somehow called and those who are uncalled. Because the reality is, folks, if you're in this room and you say, I am a follower of Jesus, God has called you to ministry. He didn't save you just to get a ride to heaven. He saved you to participate in ministry. And look at this passage. Look at this passage in First uh, Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The fact is, folks, if you didn't know it before you got here today, God has called you to a special service of Christian ministry. And it's the ministry of reconciliation. What he's saying in this passage, and by the way, Paul's writing here to the, the, the church at Corinth. He's saying, I, I, I'm putting in my, I am putting in your hands the responsibility to proclaim the message of Christ to those who do not know him. I am putting that in your hands. But, but I witness to my neighbors through my actions. I just act Jesus in my neighborhood. And, and people will know. They'll know. I mean, you know, when I, when I get uh, somebody's mail and take it to them when it's snowing, they'll know I'm Jesus y. They'll, they'll just realize I'm a Christian, right? When I uh, wave to them and smile, they'll just know I'm Jesus y. I don't have to really talk about it, do I? That's what the Ministry of Reconciliation is, folks. It's talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's talking about Jesus and what he has done for us. It's about sharing uh, your testimony like Paul's doing right here. Yes, do we need to act Jesus-y? Of course. You know, we can't act like the devil and talk about Jesus. That doesn't work. Do Do we need to act like Christ? Of course. But, folks, that's not enough. Now, listen... If you, if you are the kind of person that says, look, I just act Jesus-y and I do it so well. I've led 35 people to Christ over the last three years. You come and stand here and I will sit here and I will learn from you. I will learn how to just be Jesus-y enough to lead people to Christ just by being me. I don't know anybody who does that or anybody who can do that. The apostles couldn't do it. Apostles didn't do it. They talked about Jesus Folks, God has called you to Christian ministry. If you've ever thought to yourself, boy, I hope God doesn't call me to be a pastor. I hope God doesn't call me to be a missionary. I hope God doesn't call me into some kind of full-time Christian service. Too late. You're all called to full-time Christian service in the ministry of reconciliation. It's our responsibility to tell others about Jesus and it's God's responsibility to change the human heart. Look, I can't... I can't say anything well enough to change a person's heart without the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin. That's God's job, and I'll let God handle his job. But he's given us a job, and that's to talk about it. That's to share with people what has has happened in our lives. And part of the problem is I think a lot of us haven't really had any big change in our lives since we became a Christian, and that's why we don't and can't talk about it because nobody would believe us. I, I I want us to experience the real Savior. I want us to really experience a changed life by the Holy Spirit in us. And then I want us to do exactly what God is calling us to do and talk about it. Every chance we get. You know, Paul didn't go into a city and spend a year there making friends with people so he could get the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. He just went in and talked to him about Jesus. And that's what he wants us to do, folks. We have a calling in a ministry, much like Paul's, to share the gospel and our testimony with those around us. How did the, the people around Paul respond? Well, the Jews responded with hate. They responded with hate. Now, a little bit of the sarcastic side of me really enjoys this passage, so I think if you have a little bit of a sarcastic side about you, you'll like this too. But Acts chapter 22, verses 22 through 29 say this. It says, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. Wanting to kill him. For he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging. To find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately and the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Basically what happened here was the crowd... Uh, turned on him at the place where he shared about Jesus and, and shared his conversion with them, shared his calling with them and told them what they were, he was called to do, to go and share the gospel message, the message about Jesus with everybody else. They said, get rid of this guy, kill him. Get rid of him, get him out of here. And as this riot began to build back up, uh, the uh, commander brought him inside the barracks and said, let's, let's figure out what's going on with this guy. Let's, uh, let's beat him a while, we'll beat it out of him. We'll flog him. We'll, we'll beat it out of him and find out what's going on. So they stretched him out, and I, I have this picture of Braveheart in my mind, although it wasn't quite like that. They stretched him out, and they were getting ready to beat him, and I, I just picture in my mind this, this big old giant guy, and he's got the whip in his hand. I mean, this guy's a professional. He's not an amateur. He gets his whip, and he gets ready, and he, he gets ready to hit Paul, and Paul just goes, hey, let me ask you a question. Is it okay for you to do this to a Roman citizen? And he freezes. He's like, uh, what? You, what did you just ask me? Is it okay for you to do this to a Roman citizen? Because you know I haven't had a trial. Uh, stay right there, I'll be right back. And he runs out and gets the commander. He goes, Do you know this guy's a Roman citizen? He goes, What? That's crazy. So he comes back in. The commander goes, So uh, is it true you're a Roman citizen? Paul says, Yep, sure am. And he says, Commander says with pride, Well, you know, I bought my citizenship with a large sum of money. Paul goes, Oh, really? I was born a Roman citizen. <laughs> what? And these guys cower down, and they, I, just, I, just, I just love how like, God works these things out. And they go, Okay, back off. We've, we've, we almost beat this guy who's a Roman citizen, one of our own, a Roman citizen without a trial, which is incredibly illegal, and they could both be killed for doing so. So they said, Okay, uh, never mind. And they they let him up. But folks, I want you to pay attention here to how those who were listening responded to Paul. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. I understand that sometimes we are afraid of talking about Jesus because we're afraid that people will find us boring, uh, find us somehow not as smart as them. Uh, they will make fun of us. They will talk about us at the water cooler. They will uh, uh, do whatever they do and embarrass us, point at us, make fun of us, ridicule us. The really, really bad ones will play tricks on us or uh, talk to our face and be mean to us. These people wanted to kill Paul. I mean, they basically said, give him to us now. Let's take him. We, we just don't experience persecution in this, in this country. We are going to celebrate our our nation's birthday again tomorrow. And folks, I understand that that we don't like those things when people make fun of us. But but when you look at the persecution that's going on around the world to Christians for just being Christians, we don't endure anything. I mean, nothing. People are dying in the Middle East just because they refuse uh, to, to say they don't love Jesus. And we're afraid somebody's gonna make fun of us or throw some trash in our yard or stick their tongue out at us or whatever they're gonna do. It just seems silly to me. It just seems silly. Folks, we have to always remember it's not our responsibility for people's response to the gospel, but it is our responsibility to share it. It is our responsibility to communicate it. It is our responsibility to share our our faith and our testimony and look, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't, to, you don't have to take classes online. You don't have to learn a bunch of theology and books. We're always afraid that somebody's gonna ask us a question. If you witnessed an accident on the way to church today and you walked in here, would you say, man, I sure would like to tell the pastor about that accident I saw. That was incredible. But he might ask me some questions about the speed of the cars or, or the color or the license plates, and I wouldn't be able to answer those, so I'm not gonna talk about it. I'd be embarrassed that I couldn't answer those questions. You would never think that way, would you? You'd go all about it or each other. What? Listen, all you got to do is if you've really had a, a relationship with Jesus Christ and if it really has changed your life, all you got to do is tell people what you've experienced. Hey, let me tell you what happened to me. I was just like you one time. I, I didn't. I didn't think much about life and I was depressed and sad a lot and had this kind of emptiness in my, in my soul and didn't really know what was going on. Then I met Jesus, gave my life to him. He's given me purpose and meaning and, and, and joy and, and yeah, I still go through hard times but man, my life is so much better. He's really changed my life. I'm so glad somebody told me about Jesus. That's, what, that's it. That's it. And, and if they want to debate about some greater things, I would just really stick to the conversation being about Jesus. Folks, I want us to see what Paul did here. And while it is so incredibly simple, it is so incredibly profound that when he got the opportunity and perhaps as far as he knew, his last opportunity to speak to the crowds in Jerusalem, he shared one thing with them, his testimony. Let me tell you about how Jesus changed my life. We need to be that excited about sharing the same story with our friends who don't know Christ. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ or if you're here today saying, well, I thought I made some decision when I was a kid, but I realized my life has never changed. Man, please talk to us before you leave today on the back of that connection card, there's some boxes. Just talk, you know, I want to talk to the pastor. Or I want to give my life to Christ or whatever. And by the way, you don't have to talk to us. You can just, you can just pray right there. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I, I can't do anything about that myself. So I believe and I trust what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sins. I give my life to you and I turn away from my sin. Lead me, guide me the rest of my life. And in that moment, that will be the moment like Paul in Damascus on the road to Damascus, where Jesus appeared to him and gave him a new life. Folks, God is waiting to give us new lives. And then when he does it, he wants us to be excited enough about it to talk about it. That's the message today. Let's think about that. As we spend a lot of time this week with our friends and neighbors, as we're in crowds of people, in situations where we can talk to people, let's think about what Jesus has really done for us how he's really changed our lives, and then let's not be so selfish that we wouldn't share it with others who need to hear it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that guides and leads us so wonderfully. Father, we thank you for uh, saving us, for giving us the opportunity to hear from someone else about the incredible love that you had for us through your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us not to be ashamed of speaking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Help us not be ashamed of telling others how much you've changed our lives. And God, as we examine our life, if we see that there's really been no great change happen, Lord, I pray that uh, you would really cause us to consider the possibility that maybe we've been religious without really having a relationship with you. God, help those who are questioning or considering giving their lives to you to not leave today until they talk with us or, or uh, just put that on a card so that we can contact them. Father, give us opportunities to share our faith and open our mouths and our hearts to speaking the truth to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.